Hi, my name is Christine, and I'm your host for the Bytesonal Podcast. Ding! Happy 2020, everyone. Welcome back, old listeners. Welcome, new listeners. We have entered yet another decade of life, so congratulations, y'all. Um, hope you guys had a wonderful holiday season and that the dread of being back at school and work isn't too uh, soul-crushing. Personally, my soul has already left my physical body because we have six exams waiting for us after the break. So cheers to the institution that I pay 25 grand a year to. I noticed that this time of year is when all content creators start talking about New Year's resolutions and goals. A lot of it is recycled generic advice. Things like track your goals, write them down, set smart goals, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-based goals. Um, all seems pretty logical, but just because you write things down doesn't necessarily mean you do them, right? At least that's my case. I don't want to speak for everyone here. Um, but the NPR podcast I was listening to this morning mentioned something interesting. Uh, their tip for setting up long-term habits is to incorporate some form of automation. So as a lazy person, I subscribe to this because I have the self-discipline of a five-year-old. So anything that requires minimal friction and maximum ease, that's a good sign. So the helpful tip they talked about was something called piggybacking habits. Let's say last year you already mastered uh, your goal of drinking a glass of water every morning, hydration. And this year you want to add a goal of taking your, your vitamins more regularly, let's say. Uh, the tip is to leave your vitamins beside your water bottle that you already drink every morning instead of leaving it in the medicine cabinet or the other room. If you want it to be even more ambitious, you can leave your water bottle with your vitamins with your yoga mat or treadmill. And that way you can also incorporate stretching and running into your morning routine, let's say. So again, the key is to minimize friction and maximize ease. If you're setting some 2020 goals for yourself, consider the piggybacking method. On to more pressing matters. Um, this episode is with the wonderful and hilarious Kelsey Dara. Many of you guys may know her as one of the video producers at BuzzFeed on YouTube. She's a big advocate for female empowerment, mental health, and chronic pain. Uh, she has a condition called trigeminal neuralgia. We talk a little bit about it in the podcast, and I really don't want to bore you with the science of it. Uh, but if that's something you guys are interested in, let me know. Maybe I'll do a whole podcast episode about it. We talked about um, her experiences dating and living in LA and pretty much her come up story to how she got to where she is today. I've been a subscriber of hers for a couple years now because of her overall openness about her sexuality and imperfections. And it's just very nice to see someone that I resonate with represented in popular media. She's a multi-talented lady, actress, comedian, YouTuber, content creator. She also has a podcast called Confidently Insecure, which is one I really, really recommend. So you guys better go check it out. They say don't meet your celebrity crushes because they might be assholes. But honestly, guys, she was extremely nice and it felt like such a rare opportunity that I could talk to her considering, you know, her level of uh, social media fame and caliber. So I really, really appreciate her time. Oh, and I apologize for the hideous audio quality. Um, the, the video call recorder that I was using 
was just not operating well and Kelsey was also walking around a little bit as she was talking so some parts are loud some parts are quiet I try my best to fix it but uh, again sorry without further ado here's your episode with Kelsey hi Kelsey hi (laughs) how are you Kelsey so great. How are you? <laughs> I'm all right, man. Like I said before we started the thing, I'm still kind of shaking like a leaf. No, it's totally casual Friday, usual casual conversation. Friday. We're, we're, we're both wearing jeans. I'm wearing sweatpants. I don't know about you. Uh, I'm wearing jean-like sweat sort of pants. I'll like, have to send you a photo afterwards. Like, like jeggings or? No, they're like proper work pants, but they mm-hmm. have... They're very flowy and soft, but they, they're the color of jean. <laughs> All right, girl. You got to send me a photo because I have no idea. Yeah, I, I probably that. You Again, like I said before I started, I'm shaking like a leaf because <laughs> I've only ever heard your voice via the interwebs. Um, yeah. Been a big fan of you back in the day. Like I remember um, the probably like, I never really hopped on the BuzzFeed bandwagon until it really blew up and everyone's yeah. like talking about BuzzFeed and like like you guys had like crazy amount of views for your, your YouTube videos and mm-hmm. I remember coming across it's, it's like one of your like, the, the early skits that you did and I just remember thinking like oh my gosh like she's so pretty and Ooh. I remember thinking like wow she's so cool and you're then, so nice no you know it shut up no uh, yeah, and then yeah, you know, compliment. <laughs> just take it, man. I will. And then I listened to you and Kate's podcast, and I loved oh, it. It was amazing. very fortunate that it had to end. And then yeah. now, again, I've been following up with your current podcast, so we can talk about okay. that later if you would like. Thank but you. again, yeah. big fan, man, big fan. Oh, you're so nice. I'm sure after this conversation, I will be a big fan of yours. No, no. It's so great to meet you. It's fine. We'll just be both fans of each other. That's what there you go. That's how it works. That's called friendship. Friendship it is. No, <laughs> I, I can basically say, oh, I might get so many brownie points among my friends. Oh, I love brownies. You just made me hungry. No, not the edible kind, Kelsey. Oh. Well, then I don't want them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I kind of want to just preface the interview. Like, I know like weird facts about you. I oh. know the odd, you know, just the accumulation of knowledge over the years. But I'm just gonna kind of treat the podcast as if like I don't know anything at all. Great. So, um, kind of giving just I, I kind of want to start from the beginning because sure. I think most people, even most of my friends, know you from the time that you started at BuzzFeed. But mm-hmm. where were you born? What's your social insurance number? What's your bank account <laughs> number? Like, you know? Um, well, I don't know what a social insurance number is, so I don't think I have one of those. What's the American version of that? It's kind of like your citizen number, if that makes sense. Oh, so like a social security. There you go. Wait, so what is what is what is social insurance? Is that so a Canadian in, thing? in Canada, up in the land of the north, social insurance number is kind of your government number and like a lot of your personal information is like associated with that number if that makes sense i don't like being reduced to a number i'm so much more than that (laughs) yeah we all know that kels um so yeah like could you just tell the world just a little bit about you where were you where, where were you born you weren't born in la were you 
You know, it's funny. I I often say I was born in Tampa, Florida, but I've recently realized that I have to switch it to I grew up in Tampa, Florida, because I was technically born just outside of Los Angeles, but I okay. moved to Tampa, Florida when I was young. And then I, you know, did the whole high school thing there. I graduated early. I left home, I think when I was, had just turned 16 and I went to college in Auburn, Alabama. And I was like, oh, this place is too racist and sexist and homophobic. <laughs> so I only did a little bit of that. I never joined a sorority. I never really fit in in the whole Southern life. So Alabama, uh, it, 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 yeah. did you say, would this Alabama kind of meet the stereotypes? You know, and I, I'd hate to stereotype an entire state, but fuck it. Yeah. Uh, really? <laughs> like, um, the college I went to is a college town. Like, it only exists for the college to reside in. So you're yeah. either, you know, surrounded by students or teachers or people that really never left. It's it's not like anyone else lives there unless you have some affiliation to the college. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is the deep South we're talking about, the Bible Belt, you know, yeah. the way of life is very Republican, very Trump-like, it's very right-winged. It's yeah. Even if you go to a major metropolis city, even if it is a red state, you will find liberal ideals amongst the young people, Yeah. uh, usually in some form or fashion. But in Alabama, it just, you know, it it has its pockets, but the overarching feeling, just the vibe I got from... The town, and again, yeah. it might have just been the people I was surrounding myself with, but I didn't really have, like, I kind of floated around. I didn't have yeah, right. a group of friends in college that I hung out with. I kind of floated around. And, yeah. And, what did you initially study in college? I went for radio, TV, film, and I was, like, sub-majoring in uh, musical theater. <laughs> it's pretty on brand of what you're doing now, right? So. <laughs> Correct. Uh, Although I never finished a, getting a degree. <laughs> no. It, nope. okay, again, creeper, creeper brain that I have. Did you ever move to New York? Did you ever do college? I did. Yeah. There so you go. I only did a little bit of college in Alabama before I, I went totally the opposite and rebelled and was like, where can I go where the people are? And so I, New it, York City. California seemed too far away. So New York City was the next best step. Yeah. And that's really where I feel like I kind of came out of my shell and yeah. really started to meet people in the industry and different creatives like myself. And, yeah. you know, I felt much more at home in New York City. Yeah. Man. Uh, yeah. Cause me, I'm in like a little suburbia outside of Toronto. I'm not even part of Toronto core, mm. but, you know, just hearing about people who moved to like, again, LA, uh, yeah. hearing about people who moved to New York. It's like, damn, that's kind of like a yeah. step, you know? And it's not like, Oh, this is, we'll, we'll get into that stuff. Yeah, no, it's but, definitely yeah. not for everyone. <laughs> yeah. So um, you did, you tried, you gave the college thing a try. Uh, you, you said you never end up finishing? You know, I have two associate's degrees, which basically mean nothing. Uh, okay. I don't know how Canada works, how that system of degrees work, but you basically go to college for four years to get a bachelor degree. And the bachelor degree is supposedly the thing that everyone needs you to have to get a job and over the last you know 10 years i've watched that really fizzle out that degree is really yeah um literally even in canada man like 
um, a bachelor's degree, that's like a standard. That's like to be expected. You, you don't really yeah. stand out anymore. Exactly. Even like a master's, even a master's degree is like kind of pretty standard now too. So employers are like, cool, you're, you, you completed a bachelor's. You're, I guess you're a human being. Average. Yeah. Yeah. You're and not. I don't think it's about that anymore. Like not anymore. in a, in a really good business that cares about its employees and not just hire hiring numbers. It's about who you are as a person and your grind and your hustle mentality. And, yeah, right. you know, can you learn sales tactics versus were you able to sit in a classroom for six hours a day and yeah. were you a good test taker? Yeah, and did you pass those exams? That's what yeah. it is. Like, same with here, right? It's like a lot of the trades and practical careers, um, which, are, which are usually two-year degrees, like those right. guys end up, you know, making the big bucks, you know what I'm saying? So, mm, interesting. oh, why do we all bother go to school is what I say. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to make my kids go to school if I ever have them. <laughs> God bless your kids. Seriously, not in a bad way. I mean, like, they're, just, you can just homeschool them. I went to public school, and I feel like, you know, as I'm older now, I can't believe we teach the same curriculum every year. Like, yeah. the, it's never changing, and it's the yeah. same style of teaching, and you yeah. go there for – 12 years and we all learn the same way it's just it's archaic to me it seems wild yeah um but it is what it is right and there's not really going to be much change anytime soon i don't know about the states but in canada i mean it's, it's pretty much the same it's been i think my little the only change i see now in like elementary school or public school uh, you know grade school um kids is like they have like laptops now back in the day <laughs> Like we had pencil and pens, right? Now it's like yeah. my, my little cousin brings this little Chromebook to class and yeah. that's his personal device. I mean, you're, you're, a man's probably just playing games the whole time, but. I know I'd figure out how to hack that thing and just. Hack that shit, man. Yeah, we, we barely got computer time in yeah. class. It was like a special class on its own where you, you do the paint by numbers application. No. Forget it. Forget it. Anyway, so you, you did that. And then how'd you find your way to BuzzFeed stuff? Like, did you move to LA because of the BuzzFeed? No. So I was going to a college called New York Film Academy and mm -hmm. I was studying screenwriting and acting for film. And I was taking a whole bunch of really creative, like theater type classes. And part of their program was that you had to go spend a semester at their uh, studio space in Los Angeles over on the NBC Universal Paramount lot. That's right. where they had a campus. And it was kind of like a real treat when you would get to that part of the program because you're spending a lot of time on the back lot of movie sets and in actual costume departments and you get your hands on equipment and it's a lot more uh, film focused where mm -hmm. New York was a little bit more like technique focused. So you're in a classroom a lot. So mm -hmm. When we decided, when I say we, me and my best friend, uh, <laughs> when we decided to do the program in Los Angeles, we were like, let's go together, let's get a place, like, we'll just go and get a place for the summer, and then we'll come back to New York. And when we got here, it was just like, game over. It was so different, the vibe between LA and New York. Of course. We just fell in love with it, and then we were like, there's no way we're going back. <laughs> right at that time was when... 
you know, I was getting out of a relationship. I was trying to do long distance with my high school boyfriend. Oh, oh, high school sweethearts. Yeah. So it was like, I moved across the country. I was, you know, hanging out with this whole new crowd of people. And I was just, it was probably like the biggest growth I had as a human was making the change to move all the way across the country to pursue my dreams. Because if I wouldn't have done that, and you know, if I did go back and then, you know, Lord knows I could have ended all the way back up in Florida, I never would have any of this success. And, and something I learned really quickly when I moved out here was about this app called YouTube that had just kind of taken off. Started booming. Yeah, exactly. And so for fun, when we weren't in class or filming stuff for you know, homework and in, in our curriculum, we were just making stupid shit on our own, you know? <laughs> we had a camera and uh, we had plenty of talent and lots of time. Yeah. You know, we were taking editing classes at school and yeah. we just started making fun sketches and silly videos. And so I had, you know, been working some odd jobs like freelancing and doing on camera work. Mm-hmm. And wasn't really ever finding anything that stuck. You know, I mm-hmm. graduated from New York Film Academy. I got my AA, you know, and then the next thing would have been to do my master's. And I was like, yeah. I just want to get into the business. I don't want to spend any more time in a classroom. Like I've been in a classroom my whole life. I want some practical application. So I really started, you know, volunteering on sets. And I was working for free for a long time just to get yeah. that experience under my belt. So when I was making my YouTube channel, I made one video called Shit Girlfriends Say that went viral. Uh, yeah, that's the one. reality yeah. back in, you know, 2010 didn't exist. Like things mm-hmm. didn't go viral. We didn't have like viral videos yet. And, yeah. you know, I was a part of that early generation that got to see what virality could do for someone. And it was like, as soon as I had made that video and by chance, you know, so many people resonated with it that it was being shared so much and viewed so much that that's kind of what opened the door for me for comedy. Cause I had been trying, you know, stand up and trying to go out on auditions the regular way that comedians would do in the business. And I saw this opportunity to go, I don't need anyone else to do YouTube. I can do it all by myself, exactly. you know, in my living room. I can be my own manager. I can be my own agent. Yeah. Um, and so for a while I was still focusing just on the acting side of things. Uh, I was going on auditions and I got a proper manager in the comedy space and I was still not finding anything that stuck. And I really didn't like the instability of freelance work being super poor, like right out of college, didn't have any money. You needed money at the time too, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, um, I started applying for like regular nine to fives and I was not thrilled with my job options. Like it didn't really seem like I could have it all Yeah. until I came across a Buzzfeed opening. Yeah. And what most people think is that, you know, you just apply and you get a yes or a no and you move on. Well, I was determined to make videos for Buzzfeed and just like you, I hadn't really heard of their virality or their videos Mm -hmm. until it really became mainstream. So I didn't know anything about the platform. I just knew that they made cat quizzes and funny videos. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Back then that's what it was. Exactly. So 
I actually applied three times for BuzzFeed because I was never hearing back about mm-hmm. my application. And I can only imagine what it is now with all the <laughs> success it's had. But mm-hmm. back then, I just kept cold emailing people that I could find you know, through friends of friends would have a connection mm-hmm. or my manager was able to get someone's email. Yeah. And finally I got an interview. And when I was in that interview, I was able to talk about all of my experience with YouTube. You know, yeah. a lot of people didn't have any experience with it that, that mm-hmm. got hired at the same time as me. A lot of them came from a way more traditional production background or, you know, like my one of my best friends, Freddie, who everyone knows from Ladylike, she yeah. at uh, NBC or um, yeah, the Page program at NBC mm-hmm. in New York City. Like she mm-hmm. was on set with like SNL and stuff. Yeah. Like a lot of really traditional, huge, successful jobs, mm-hmm. and we all had to kind of relearn this digital space that was really taking off. So mm-hmm. when I joined Buzzfeed, it really was like. I mean, I was like a kid in Willy Wonka's candy factory. Yeah. I just was like, let go free reign to make and do whatever I want. Yeah. And, you know, I was really lucky in that the stuff I started to make became successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the misconception because I think uh, even with myself, like I never knew you, you had like a YouTube portfolio, let's say. Yeah before you start at BuzzFeed, everyone's like, oh yeah, Kelsey, Kelsey Dara, like, you know, the girl on BuzzFeed, who started on BuzzFeed. I'm like, no, she went to like, she went to school for this. Like (laughs) she didn't just like blow up because she like applied to BuzzFeed and got really lucky, you know? No, yeah. I, you know, something I always, totally, I always tell people like the reason why, you know, BuzzFeed will be successful or won't be successful or like will kind of have its ebb and flows totally depends on the people that are there. Like that, that company is made because of all of the diverse and ever growing and ever changing talent. Like the the people you work there with, it's like, we all have a crazy fucking weird once in a lifetime bond, you know, that, uh, you really, really can't find at a lot of, at a lot of regular corporate jobs. So I feel Mm -hmm. super, super lucky for sure. Yeah. So in so when you're at we're at Buzzfeed, you're a video producer. Did you, did you hold any other roles during that time? Yeah. So everyone started off as an intern. So I started just like everybody else, and you then move up to uh, it's a junior producer position, and and you kind of get your sea legs underneath you. And within mm-hmm. eight months, I had been promoted up to full-time producer. And then I think within that same year, I got promoted to development partner, Mm -hmm. uh, which was basically a new position that was created for myself, the Try Mm -hmm. Guys, Quinta Brunson, and Mm -hmm. Ashley Perez. And we were all in this development program where we wanted to take our videos and find a way to make them successfully exist outside of of just BuzzFeed, as Mm -hmm. well as like develop all of us as comedians pretty much yeah. all of us were so was was that kind of I noticed at some point I, I can't recall because I just don't follow that closely but like is that when you guys kind of split up into like ladylike and like I think it's BuzzFeed Violet and the Try Guys kind of did their own thing too was that kind of the split yeah thing? yeah we you know the the beautiful thing about BuzzFeed is that you were never really doing the same thing for too long so like yeah. Even though we have, you know, BuzzFeed Violet, which we would all know who those girls are, mm-hmm. Violet was only what that 
image you think of in your head for such a little amount of time, you know, like Mm -hmm. eventually they were trying different formats and different um, people in the videos. And eventually that got broken up because, you know, people went off this way to make these types of videos and that ways. And, and the reason why things split off is usually because you find success in another vertical. So Mm -hmm. yeah, the, the beautiful thing is, is, you know, we, we follow the trends and we follow the hits and, um, yeah. they encourage you to fail definitely because you learn a lot from it. Yeah. But yeah, I believe that probably was at that time that you're thinking about. Yeah. Cause I like, and again, like I think a lot of people, cause I've watched like kind of ex Buzzfeed or like, yeah, you know, kind of goodbye videos and like kind of their personal narratives and stuff after they left or as they were leaving, things like that. Like, I think like people don't understand that you guys generate so much content and ideas and we only see like a small fraction of it probably right there's probably a lot of like failures behind all these little successes so um overall like if you look back at your buzzfeed years like do you regret it did you really enjoy it did you would you do it all over again oh it was definitely the best job i i mean i was in my early 20s I had an insane salary. I had I had insane talent, insanely talented people working around me. Mm-hmm. I had the freedom to literally make whatever I want. It was an absolute dream job. I think towards the end when I started to separate myself a little bit from mm-hmm. the company just because I knew it was time to go in a different direction, I probably yeah. could have done some stuff differently, but I don't like to think about like I don't regret it. I think mm-hmm. it happened to the best of my ability, knowing what I knew and working against the, you know, corporation itself. Exactly. There wasn't really anything else differently I could have done at the time. But of course, you know, if I had a time machine, I would, you know, probably Mm -hmm. ask for a couple things differently. Yeah. But I mean, I I truly believe just with whatever it is, with whether it's school, work, like relationships, like I do think there's a time and place for everything, right? Yeah, the universe, it puts me where I'm supposed to be. be. I totally believe that. And somehow, I'm, you're talking to me, so. Universe, <laughs> exactly. On, man. This is um, exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. There you go. Yeah, I appreciate you having you here. Oh, uh, let, hold on, I'm, just, I'm trying to keep up with my little list here. Sure. LA, LA. Again, I've, I've, my mom and I, we had a layover in LA. So I was mm. at LAX. Uh, I stayed at this really sketchy hotel because our um, plane got delayed. Um, But I mean, I drove by some strip clubs on my way (laughs) to the hotel. But other than that, we didn't see LA at all. That's so funny. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say that the part of town that the airport in is in isn't, isn't always the best. <laughs> it's, not the rep- it's not representative of the whole. Right. Yeah, my mom was like, I'm never coming back here again. This Vietnamese lady, she's like, I ain't coming back here. And then um, I'm like, mom, no, this is the city of stars, baby. Like, you no. Know. Um, but like kind of the question I have is like, is L.A. 
I don't want to say is it the stereotype it is but like I'm sure like if you're in LA everyone in LA is there for a reason whether a youtuber a content creator an instagrammer a film star a film director you know what I mean like there's a certain type of people like were you if you were to kind of describe in your own words what it's like to live in LA just interactions with people interactions of like lifestyle like how would you describe it for just people yeah I mean I definitely at all people the stereotype is like surfing kale eating hippies that also (laughs) just happen to have like million dollar houses in the hills that you know drive fancy cars and have boob jobs and then get to like make a movie and there definitely is some of that Um, but I would say like 90% of this town are struggling creatives in some form or fashion whether it be graphic design all the way up to, you know, the acting department. There's really, people are just trying to break into this industry in any way that they can. And, you know, you are one in a, one of a million, I should say. I mean, you are one in a million as like a special independent person, but you're also one of a million of you in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And I think it really is about breaking the stereotype in that you need to figure out who you are and what you represent and how you carry yourself about in this business that will separate you from, you know, all the other tall blonde comments. (laughs) Like what makes me different? Why am I the only person that can write this script or do this job or act out this thing or host this podcast? Like I think a lot of people will move here as, you know, totally blank canvases and will just adjust to whatever, you know, accepts them yeah. and people can get really lost up in that. Like, yeah. I don't know. I've seen people move here that end up on the beach drinking green juice, selling like <laughs> products. And I'm like, how the fuck did that happen? Yeah. But you know, this town can really eat people alive because mm-hmm. you have to have a mentality to survive rejection. And I hate to say like the hustle, but it really is a it hustle. It really is the hustle. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, will never be satisfied with my level of success. You know, like there will Mm -hmm. always be someone here in town that has more money or more Instagram followers or a bigger house or whatever it is. And it's, it's like a lush, lavish place. So if you're not really satisfied with where you are and what you do, you'll Mm -hmm. find yourself in very unique positions, you know, like the people that have it are afraid of losing it. And the people that don't have it are afraid they'll never get it. And it really is about kind of finding that balance. Yeah. And that's like the beauty of it. You know, it's kind of like you said, it's the survival of the fittest almost. Totally. And yeah. I just think there's something I don't want I'm, and people are probably suffering, you know what I'm saying? But like, it's just something so poetic about it because you guys are all there to, to do the same thing. And <laughs> you all have generally i don't want to make romanticize it but you guys have the same dream of success and like getting those positions landing those roles whatever it may be and like you know live live a life of being a creative whatever that is right and i think a lot of people worry about you know finding a community because of you know there's people like them and that you'll always be fighting for the same job or going out for the same roles and like that's such a farce like you really can't do things on your own out here it really is a collaborative environment and exactly I think especially as like women we have to find space to 
uphold each other for, you know, responsibility partners mm-hmm. or, you know, ask for help when we need it. And, yeah. you know, we have to celebrate all of each other's successes because it's happening all the time. I mean, I can't tell you like every day I log on and I see another friend doing an amazing thing. And I would rather be a part of that than someone who's, you know, so angrily, you know, counting all of her losses in her bedroom, in her dark bedroom alone in a corner. Like I would so much rather be out there so excited for people when things get done rather than going like, dang, why, why isn't that happening to me? Or like, why am I not? But is your is your mindset kind of the most common? Like, like would you say is it still? Do you see some of like the communities and even your your friends or people you used to know? Is it still pretty cutthroat, or is like has LA evolved to this place where it's very collaborative in terms? Of- I don't think LA has evolved, but I think the people <laughs> I surround myself with definitely that's all are you know at varying levels of success now and. Yeah. You know, I'll see people who move here and they tend to chill out after a while. Like when you first get here, it's just like, go, 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 cut, cut, cut. <laughs> but I think it's like, I would hope people who move out here would realize like how supportive and uplifting mm-hmm. you can really find that environment. Like, you know, people really do want you to succeed and do want you to win and what's portrayed in the media and on film and you know, that entourage-esque, mm-hmm. you know, HBO show mentality where it's like the Ari Golds and the Harvey Weinsteins, like yeah. those are the big stories that get the most attention. But I think the industry is slowly changing. I mean, yeah. we are seeing more successes for women and people of color and more, you know, yeah. movies are being, you know, the conversation around diversity is so uh, common now. And, you know, mm-hmm. you're never get hired as a white guy in this town again like I think it's slowly changing it everyone's being so dramatic about it like yeah. as they should be but yeah uh, I I it's slow it's a slow burn but it's definitely pleasant to watch happen yeah and again, you you and everybody else who are on the interwebs, I think like the traditional film industry and TV shows, that might take a little bit of time to catch up. But I, again, like look how much the internet has changed since you hopped on and made your first YouTube video, right? Exactly. And, and like how many, how many different personas and like representations of different people now compared to back in the YouTube days where I remember the first YouTuber I watched, probably Kev Jumba or something like that. Do you remember <laughs> Kev Jumba? No, I'm gonna have to um, look him up. No, he's oh, he's uh, he's a he's a dinosaur, and like Jenna Marbles, like that was kind of like back in oh, the day. Oh, right? I remember Jenna Marbles was one of my first too. Yeah, God bless that woman. She's great. Hi, welcome to the intermission segment of the Biotono Podcast. This is where typically advertisements, sponsor plugs are put in a podcast. But currently, we have zero sponsors. So I'm just going to use this time to say thank you for tuning in, guys. And we would also really appreciate it if you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also, follow us across all the socials at Bitonal Podcast. If you have any ideas, feedback, comments, advice, stories you want to share, drop us a line at bitonalpodcast at gmail.com. That's all I really have to say. Okay, back to the main segment. 
Um, LA, LA, LA. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about this part, but man, dating in LA, what's that like? Because I know like, <laughs> again, a lot of my favorite like gay YouTubers are just like, again, that little niche, right? They all, it seems like, I mean, from like a consumer point of view, it's like they all do collab videos together. They they kind of, you know, they hang out together, it seems. So, like, is is there, like, a, uh, what, what, what am I trying to say? Like, what's, like... No, for sure. There's definitely... In LA? I think everyone's gay at some point in LA. So, what's that like? Uh, there's So, there's West Hollywood, which is boys town, which is gay, gay town. Like, that's where the streets are literally painted rainbow. <laughs> and that's where the pride parade happens and like you just feel the energy change when you cross over like on Santa Monica Boulevard you're just like oh now I'm like in Gayville and I think it's wonderfully uh, uh, transparent but I think it can be also really like um, uh, intertwined like it, you know I, I see a lot of like the same circles who go to the same types of clubs and you know, I think that world is so tightly knit because it's a space unlike any other in America. Like there really aren't spaces yeah. like that where mm-hmm. you can go be a hundred percent who you are. And, and not only that, but like that part of town is everything is reflective of queer culture. Like right. the, the stores there are, you know, drawn out to be just like the, the most queer facing and looking and they hire queer people and the music is queer music. And like, it really is sort of like stepping into another world where it's just so normalized and so, uh, and it's just so regular and positive Mm -hmm. that I feel like that we're so lucky in that. But again, like, I feel like as big of a part of LA as that part of town is, it can, it can feel very small because there's Mm -hmm. really nothing else like it in the, in the whole world. So Mm -hmm. I I guess you could say that too, just about all of the subcultures of Los Angeles, (laughs) the YouTubers, right? Like they all know each other. They all hang out at the same events. It's like, yeah, probably because nowhere else in the entertainment space celebrates YouTubers like Los Angeles. You know, we've got VidCon out here. We have you know, different uh, media companies that do write-ups about YouTubers and we have the YouTube space and like, it makes sense that you can kind of find that out here. So if like you're a queer YouTuber, you are a part of like a very specific uh, culture. And I think what's beautiful about YouTube is that like, you can be a part of that culture anywhere in the world now, you know, you can be in the middle of America with like, you know, no neighbors for five miles, but Mm -hmm. you can feel like, you know, as much as you can digitally that you are a part of something. And that's what I think positively um, Los Angeles does for -hmm. for cultures like that. Yeah. And uh, this is just a tangent off that, but I mean, as like a little baby gay in high school, uh, I kind of knew about my sexuality because of YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I don't. Hmm, I think I found Rose and Rosie pretty early on. Mm. Um, I don't know if you know them. They're in the UK. Heard of them? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Rose and Rosie, and like it wasn't until maybe undergrad that I found Shannon Beveridge. And back in the day, she was dating Cami Scott. I don't know uh-huh. if you know them. Uh-huh. Uh huh. 
really cool people, both cool people. And like, and then, and then like everybody else, Alley Hills, everybody kind of in the little, little group there. Right. And yeah. it was, it was because of YouTube that I was able to connect with this whole community that I had yet to identify with because I was confused yeah. about what I was, what my brain was doing and how oh. I felt. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's only getting more it's and more. It's only getting better. Totally. Yeah. Because back in, when I was in high school, I'm 24, like back in high school, there was like one girl who was out. And now, according to my little cousins, like I think, you know, everybody's pretty flexible and fluid, in the, even though they're only in like middle school or even high school. And, yeah. um, you know, I'm an Asian Canadian first uh, generation person here. My parents are very traditional. I never had like a role model. I never had anybody, a relative, a best friend, friend's sister. I never had anybody who kind right. of was like me. So yeah. it was like, well, Tumblr was huge back in the day. So you know, like Tumblr is kind of, I kind of connected there because all my friends like overheard uh, me you know, talking to this other girl about me being potentially gay. And she's like, oh, mate, you should, you should check out Tumblr. And then from Tumblr, you go to YouTube, right? And it's yeah. just like, I am so grateful that I had that platform to reach out to and kind of learn about myself on or else I, w I don't know what the hell I would have been doing now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right? And now it's like you can't even sign on to like TikTok without TikTok. <laughs> gay shit happening. It's Thirst just like traps, man. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's one of those things where like people like you, people like Shannon and Cammie back in the day, it's like you have these people who are gay and they seem to be okay. And you know what I mean? It's like you have that uh, frame of reference. So it's one of those mm -hmm. things where um, I became a lot more confident and accepting of myself because of people like you guys out there on the internet. Yeah, that's so great. I mean, I think we're all in in a weird way like we couldn't do any of this like people that watch and support us are the only reason why we do this kind of stuff yeah. like it it's not because we want to do it to get our 15 minutes or because uh you know we you know we don't want to have that kind of negative attention we do it for support and connection and mm -hmm. relatability and to create those those crosshairs in the community like we're nothing without the viewers and yeah and those those stories absolutely thanks for saying so no it's a big deal i just want to reinforce that because you probably know already and you probably got a bunch of fans but again i'm just one of those fans right so <laughs> good work that, you and that matters yeah um in terms of did you ever and if did you ever struggle as a baby gay as well like did you when did you realize you weren't completely straight sure i mean it was really early on for me that i knew that i liked the feeling of making out with girls and at <laughs> and summer parties that i was like this feels great but it doesn't matter because this isn't realistic. This isn't something I can have. I, there were, you know, no out people in my community. There was one out person at my entire high school of 2000 kids. Uh, he was a cheerleader and was like relentlessly bullied. And that was just not a realistic thought for me to vocalize out loud. It was just something I really kept inside and then would watch myself 
act on in moments of like privacy or like drunkenness or like <laughs> you know, when I could be my authentic self, like away at summer camp where no one would know who I was or like, it's, it's you know, very it, situational, right? Yeah. It, it, it would, it followed me and it really wasn't until I was comfortable using the word bisexual to describe myself, which really didn't come till my late teen years, you know, more like college age that I realized like, oh shit, this wasn't a choice. You know, I grew up in the Baptist yeah. community, like church where I thought this was something I was choosing rather than remembering all of the feelings I'd had from childhood, of, you know, sneaking into my friend's sleeping bag to make out with her at a party. Like, <laughs> Dude. All that kind of stuff was happening when I was so fucking young. And I thought that was just like part of it. I didn't realize that, that I was shaping my sexuality for, at such a young age. And yeah. You know, I've written about this before and I've talked about this before that mm -hmm. my coming out story wasn't really like one big rainbow flag, like Elle Mills moment. Mm -hmm. it, it was something that happened slowly and often over a long period of time. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't really like important important to have the label until I started working at BuzzFeed because then really? I see yeah the impact that I could have with people in normalizing it whereas before if it was like my friends knew that was good enough for me and now it's like I can't have enough people know about that like I need everyone in the world to know about how queer I am like I yeah. can't keep it in any longer and you know that I've only felt that way because I'm reinforced by so many people who will write to me and say like hey I've only ever been in hetero relationships my whole life and you know here's what I'm feeling and thinking and uh, it's stuff like that that makes me feel like, oh my gosh, I have so much time to make up for and so much work to make up for doing yeah. because it really, like I never really had this big, and I feel like maybe bisexuals don't get that space to like announce. Like I feel like yeah. a lot of times it's like gay men or lesbians get this like coming out moment yeah. and bisexuals just kind of get labeled like, well, you were drunk and you made out with your friend. Like yeah. that doesn't count or whatever. And so yeah. for me, I probably, you know, like I said, didn't really feel comfortable labeling myself until my late teens, which I feel sad for, but also again, like I knew with the way I, I was raised and the way my community was towards queer people was, it was, I did the best that I could with what I was given. Yeah. And if I could go back now, I don't know that I would have acted any differently because, you know, not everyone is in a safe, you know, boys town space yeah. where we can do these kinds of yeah. coming out journeys. So it's, it really, um, yeah, yeah, about putting the message for me. Yeah. At this it's, it's a time and a place. And the biggest advice like I have to just like people before and after me is like, um, it's a process, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like you just come out once. Like if it's something you're, you're going to stick to and you're, you plan to be authentically yourself for a long period of time, you're constantly going to be coming out to people. Yeah. You're constantly going to have to nudge the conversation in a different direction if they say like, oh, do you have a boyfriend? It's like, well, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, and I find myself in, in Los Angeles even having to confront my own 
biases where like the way queer people spoke about you know sexuality or gender spectrum and Mm -hmm. even I sometimes feel like I'm playing catch up with the lingo or Mm -hmm. you know our our rules if you will like society's Mm -hmm. uh point of view on it and it's it's ever evolving it's always going to be changing like yeah you know that's why we have fucking like turfs and shit because we couldn't get with the program of like how how society views sexuality and the mm-hmm. way that it's going to keep changing yeah and this is something i want to ask you and kind of one-on-one it's like um as a bisexual woman i still think there's stigma not just from straight people in the hetero community but it's also a little bit of stigma within the gay community too i feel like oh yeah Big um, time. again uh, in my personal experience and just dating and stuff yeah um there's been times where i kind of withheld the fact that i was bisexual just because i'm like women will always find it to be like oh you you're a little too wishy-washy or like uh have you ever been you know like pick 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 or choose and then men just kind of over sexualize it so i'm just like i'm just gonna shut up about it if it comes up it comes up and it wasn't yeah like you as well it wasn't until like later and later on in my 20s i'm 24 but you know like maybe like early 20s now that i i kind of came to terms with it where i decided like i kind of needed to put a label on it because yeah. i need to stand by something and be consistent with it if it makes sense like yeah, and i think that that takes time like it, it fucking sucks that there's so much uh issues within the community too because we're always going to feel a little bit othered because of the label being so uh general in a way like like everybody yeah and i think people especially in the queer space take so much pride in saying like no you know what i was closeted i am a gay man like hear me roar and absolutely we support that and with that comes i think a misconception that there's fluidity to it now again i mm-hmm. think like it's definitely changing and like i said even 10 years ago i don't think people would have even understood uh mm-hmm. fluidity so i i'm i'm happy to be a part of the generations that's making the difference but yeah it sucks that you feel like you would have to hide the fluidity of it because that's like yeah. the whole fucking fun part about it <laughs> yeah and and i always think like like God knows you wake up one day and things might change or things I always see life so like situational like you like you know you like apples for the fucking uh 10 years of your life now all of a sudden you meet one bad apple or you eat you know you just all of a sudden wake up one morning and you're like bananas who the fuck knows (laughs) right and and I never really understood myself like even like the the, the kind of the gender fluidity and the sexuality fluid I, I didn't really get that concept that it was a spectrum because I was raised in a way where it's so binary and it's just so like black and white whereas now it's like yeah I'm starting to accept the idea that it's like damn it man just live your life and whatever side of the scale you fall on fall on and that's what it is and work with that right totally and and like especially when it's not so clear cut and dry. And like, I always tell people that are questioning their bisexuality, like it's absolutely okay to be like a hundred percent dick. Like, oh my <laughs> God, I think about dick. And like all month, all I can think about is dick. Like you're so bisexual. Like it's okay to feel very passionate about one side or the other. And, you know, I know lesbian women who have always been 
uh, out as, as lesbian who are fearful to ever admit attraction towards someone who identifies as male for fear that their community might other them about, you know, we have such these harsh lines and God forbid anyone's labeled as bisexual because it is such a, you know, I'm making air quotes, wishy-washy mm-hmm. uh, viewpoint that I, I, again, like I think it's slowly changing the idea of fluidity. Like I'm so glad that that word is more uh, rooted and, and, and mm-hmm. a little bit more uh, common these days because yeah. I think it's really going to help the inter-community issues that, that you're talking about. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think you hit, you hit the nail on the head on that one. It's Thanks, important. It's too. important. It's important. Um. Uh, Mr. Jared. I, I don't want to drain yeah. name off Jared. Mr. Jared <laughs> caps laps. Yeah. It's just caps lap no s, right? <laughs> I call him lots of things, so yeah. you can call him whatever you want. I don't need to know what you call him after. <laughs> I don't need to know that. Um. Yeah. So. It, Again, just listening to you and Kate's podcast, that's kind of when I got the kind of the, the behind the scenes about you and like what Kate, Kate going on dates and stuff. And yeah. Your experiences just being a very, very open lady. And sure. um, not that it's a bad thing, of course. I'm just saying like, you're just a little free little yeah. bird. Totally. And how did you, so in terms of your bisexuality itself, would yeah. you say like you kind of fucked around with like men and women pretty equally? Oh man. Yeah. Like before you found Jared. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, even with Jared, we're in an open relationship. So exactly. it's very, very fluid. And you know, I, God, I'm now you have me thinking like mathematics. I'm like, okay, statistically. <laughs> 66%. You know, yeah. I wish I could have a number. I would say like publicly I've been with more men mm-hmm. solely because of the other person's comfortability being public. You know, I really haven't found a lot of women that, you know, I was serious enough with that our relationship felt comfortable being public. Yeah. A lot of it happened during my BuzzFeed days when like no one knew. <laughs> like, there was a lot of like secret ass shit that like yeah. I, I never made public. Yeah. But I will say even now that I'm in an open relationship, I'm finding it harder to to find women that are okay with being public about the fact of being in a relationship with a couple. Like yeah. if Jared and I have a third that we're dating, we're not posting about it obviously because that's at the discretion of another person. Like there's three people involved now. Like it's already hard enough with one other person. Like official, <laughs> are we dating? Like, are we just fucking? Like I would say like yeah. even now, now it's even more uh, hard to tell just because you, when you're in a solid relationship like Jared and I are in, it's really about respecting that third person's comfortability level and making sure that they always feel included and respected and heard and, you know, highlighted when they want it to be. And, and yeah. uh, it, it's definitely, t- uh, not, I wouldn't say like tougher because I'm definitely the happiest I've ever been with yeah. dating and, and my openness. I mean, being single in LA like five years ago was the most miserable, awful time ever. It's like the worst. But 
I will say it takes, it's just more thoughtful now. It just takes extra time, like yeah. a little bit more sensitivity to it. Now. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I'm not, I, I don't know who, who y'all, how, I don't know who you've been with in the past little bit. Uh, but I mean, you're in the public eye. I feel like Jared's in the public eye as well. Like I can imagine like as the third person, like it might be a little bit difficult to be completely open about it. Right. Uh, Jared and I is like rule. I mean, I hate to say we don't call them rules. We just call them, uh, showing up to the relationship. Like the, the respectfulness that we have that makes it work is that Mm -hmm. we have a hundred percent open honesty. Like there are no secrets. There's no lies. Like, and it makes things so much easier. Like if someone walks by, that's attractive. I don't feel like, Oh, gulp. I have to hide my feelings and (laughs) and, like divert my eyes the other way and like put on my sunglasses. Like it's so much fucking easier when you just say like, damn, that guy's fucking hot. And Jerry can be like, Oh yeah. Like what about it? You know, it's yeah. not like, uh, like he get puffs up and is like, oh yeah, yeah, what about him? He's like, oh, interesting. Yeah. What about yeah. that person you find attractive? And like, yeah. we can have a conversation about it. Exactly. And I, there's no guilt or like tripwire involved. Like so many relationships end because of jealousy or yeah. infidelity. And when you're in an open relationship such as this, and I know other open couples who their whole rules are ignorance is bliss. Like they don't want to know. Exactly. To share, but I don't like that. Like, I can't fucking sit on a secret at all. Like, I feel like I would just be like bursting at the seams if I, you know, sucked a dick and couldn't tell Jared about it. Mm-hmm. I'd just be dying. I'd be like, I didn't even tell you something. <laughs> he's my best friend, and like, yeah, I would so much rather be over communicative, so there's never any doubts or questioning than you know leaving anything to be wondered or, mm-hmm. or desired. And I guess a lot of that comes down to just communication between you two, right? Oh, totally. Like communication, yeah. communication, communication. Like yeah. I've tried to have this level of communication with other people and it just didn't work because that we don't have the same communication style. But Jared and I just happen to have the same communication style where we're very open, we're very blunt, we don't have filters. Like usually in a relationship you you find opposites and we are very opposite in a lot of ways, but one way that we're not is we don't withhold. Like we have no, our, our brains just don't operate that way. We're problem solvers. We don't like to go to bed angry. We don't like to fight. We don't really yell. Our arguing style is very calm. Like, We like well, Jared's a saint, it seems. So, oh my god, he really is. I, yeah, <laughs> he deserves all the awards. <laughs> yeah, just so, just so I, was, I, I realized because I'm, I follow you and I, I read a lot of things about these kind of things. But for just for the mm-hmm. average listener of the podcast, um, how does an open re- relationship work, or how does the dynamic work between you and Jared? If considering I would your say, primary partner, yeah. yeah? Yeah, I I would say it's different for everybody else. I mean, we believe that we are primary partners, so number one, and we feel so solid in our partnership that we have room and emotional and mental space for uh, more feelings. So whether that be just like sexual one night kind of like fun things or we feel like we have room in our hearts for love for someone, uh, you know, it just becomes a little bit trickier because now you have to 
find a person that works for both of you or just one of you, or you have to find a way to make the distinction between, you know, uh, it being just for one person or for both of you, or do you date together? Do you date separate? Do you have, you know, you really have to figure out what your boundaries are and to be in a relationship like this requires a shit ton of self inventory. Like Mm -hmm. you have to really, really figure out what you do and don't want in a relationship to be in this kind of situation and like kind of how secure you are within yourself and what you got to provide to you right oh yeah yeah. that's not to say like i'm not insecure because i fucking am don't get me wrong (laughs) but it's about like what you do with that insecurity and how you handle it and you know do you blame shift and put it on your partner or do you kind of own up to your flaw uh, or your insecurity or your jealousy or whatever it is and and go like oh this is a me thing this isn't a thing yeah um i'm not gonna put pressure on you on the spot but i think you like do you do you ever see um you and jared getting married and would that be a point where you might want to close the relationship off i don't think i'll ever be closed i've talked about this with my therapist like that just doesn't seem like marriage doesn't mean you have to close it yeah not at all and I don't know about marriage. I People ask me all the time, like, are you guys going to have kids? Are you guys moving in together? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, I put you on the spot there. No, I'm, I'm it's, sure. it's I'm, not on the spot. I genuinely don't know. Yeah. Well, and well, how long, how long have you, been, you, been, you guys been together now? Two years. Yeah, it's been, it's been a good amount of time. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're homies. We're partners. Yeah. And for us, it's like we don't really have an end goal. We're just so present and in the moment that we're not – planning as if you know the world's gonna end tomorrow and we have a a deadline we have to hit yeah and I'm sure I'm sure like you know you guys are both hustling in your own ways before you reach to a point where you're like yeah let's settle down and have little babies or something scary yeah yeah no we're both very selfish yeah millennials (laughs) that's how it is okay last topic Kelsey I don't want to take up too much of your time okay sure um let's see so on on the interwebs, there is a series about you and your just documentation of chronic pain. Mm-hmm. So I don't think a lot of people know this because, again, they look at you and like this girl looks completely perfect in every mm-hmm. aspect. Hilarious. Um, and her face is just so pretty. But there's Hilarious. a lot of stuff going on with you. Sure. Um, I don't want to get it wrong, so I'll get you to explain it first. But what has been your experience with chronic pain and what's going on with your face, man? Sure. So I have what's called trigeminal neuralgia and anesthesia dolorosa, which is a neuropathic chronic pain condition. It came after I had jaw surgery and I basically was a mistake done by a doctor. And so I have daily chronic pain in my face, jaw, neck, head, migraine, tooth area. Mm -hmm. Um, And I decided to do something with my pain and to turn it into purpose because right now what I have has no known cure. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you think about that too deeply, it'll fuck you up. So instead, it's really taught me how to be present and mindful and live today and monitor how I can make myself feel the best that I can today. And so like I said, I tried to find purpose within my pain. And so I decided to document it and make videos about it and try and connect people all over the world through 
conversations about either the same chronic illness or same chronic pain or disease and, and find some purpose in this fucked up tragedy that unfortunately happened to me. Uh, I try not to let it consume me or become my entire identity, but it is a huge part of me. It is something that I think about, you know, every morning when I wake up and it's the last thing I think about before I fall asleep. So To me, it just made sense to integrate it into my life the same way that I've done with all of my other videos and exactly what I've done with, um, you know, like mental health or yeah. my relationship. Yeah. It's like, that's my job is, is I can't keep it in. So once I released some videos about it, it really opened a lot of doors and has created a community for me that's been so wonderful and and I'm just scratching the surface with it. I feel like I still yeah. have so much work to do and and so many interviews and videos to make and yeah. and causes to get involved with that I know it's not over. It's really just the beginning. Yeah. So for those of you, I'm a chiropractic student, so I'm, I'm quite familiar with trigeminal neuralgia and neuropathic pain. Um, for, for the average listener, um, in terms of a day-to-day, Kelsey, like how does, how does the pain affect you? Where, how did, what does it feel like? Where is it? How does it work? Yeah. I mean, it's again, it's in my neck, face, tooth area, chin, lips. Uh, it feels very similar to like lightning strikes, mm-hmm. uh, or bites, or vibrations, or tightness, or burning feeling, razor sharp uh, nerve damage. So a lot, a lot of people have nerve pain, but usually it's like a more common area, like your back or yeah. you know, your sciatic nerve, or something that a lot of people know about. But unfortunately, like not a lot of people or even doctors really know about the trigeminal nerve, which is what yeah. controls all the and no yeah. intervention so far from what I've learned about. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's something that I feel like half the time I'm dealing with the pain and then half the time I'm trying to make sure people are educated about, you know, the, the condition and, uh, not let it interfere too much with my day. Again, like I try not to let it swallow my entire identity. Mm -hmm. And you kind of spun it your own way because you're being an advocate for now. So I guess that's one of the ways you kind of not let it get to you if you're having a bad yeah. day but is there yeah. any uh, my, my the podcast in terms of the, pod, the bitonal podcast right now i'm trying to move into a direction towards mental health like do mm-hmm. you have any personal tips that you want to share let's say you're having a really bad day pain wise anxiety wise stress wise like what are your kind of self-care tips and how do you handle that Sure. I think getting distracted is like the best form of medicine. Like I wish I could say like yoga or like take a walk or like this medication. But for me, it's about getting my mind on something else because I'm somebody who will ruminate in thought. So if I'm having a bad pain day, it's all I can fucking think about. So for me, distraction really helps. So whether it's talking to someone else or watching 90 day fiance or making <laughs> you know, diving super deep into an edit, but like, it's going to be different every time, but getting my brain out of that process of just sitting here going like, ow, 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 this sucks. Yeah. Doing something different, like whatever capacity it is, is if it's like sitting in the bathtub or laying in my bed, then that's like, you know, scrolling through Instagram. It really is about like just figuring out what your body yeah. needs in that moment to survive. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just the last point here. So I kind of wanted you to plug your podcast for a little bit, a little bit here. 
Um, if you guys don't know, Kelsey is the host of the Confidently Insecure podcast. She's great. Um, you guys, <laughs> you have really, really good topics and guests on the podcast. So just a quick like buzz. Do you want to plug yourself? How would you start the podcast? What direction you want to move with it? Sure. So the title is Confidently Insecure and the slug line is it's the podcast where we're absolutely <laughs> sure we don't know everything. Yeah. And for me, it was just about creating a space for people to come and talk about subjects that were popular in the cultural and societal zeitgeist, uh, to ask the dumb questions or uh, start a conversation about a subject that maybe they feel like they don't really have a seat at the table for, or uh, just being entertained as well. Um, I am someone who like physically can't keep my mouth shut. I have to. (laughs) And like, I'm a very curious being like I meet someone and I'm like, Oh, what do you do? Tell me more about that. Like, how can that help other people? And for me, I just want to keep people curious and hungry for bettering themselves or this world or their friendships or the Mm -hmm. environment or like whatever specific topic we are talking about that week. Um, I feel like in this day and age, like the culture is so PC and we're so afraid to fuck up that like, I wanted to be the fall person for a lot of subjects because mm-hmm. I genuinely am just curious, like, how are we supposed to make things better if we are too afraid to even talk about the tough stuff in the first mm-hmm. place? So, exactly. uh, that's where the podcast came from. That mm-hmm. was the goal with Confidently Insecure. Yeah. And um, again, guys, if you get a chance, go check it out. I, I, I have you, I'm subscribed. So my iPhone just automatically downloads it. And I yeah. during my morning commute on the 401, whatever equivalent of a crazy highway is. Yeah. Um, Amazing. Your, voice, your voice and just brain and the topics you cover, it keeps me pretty well entertained. Uh, thank I, learn, you. I learn a lot. So uh, thank you for having that platform. And Absolutely. I know I said that was the last question. Final, final question, Kelsey. I asked this to all the guests, but sure. do you have a vision for the world? Do you have a, like, whatever you're doing now as a content creator, as a podcast host, as just a very proud and open lady, do you have a specific goal for the world that you want to do? Yeah. I mean, with the work that I do specifically, like, obviously I want there to be like world peace and all that good shit, but specifically just for like my audience, I would love people to just be kinder to themselves and kinder to one another and really have the confidence to know that they can make a difference and they Mm -hmm. do matter and that they can change the motherfucking world if they try. There you go. Put that on the (laughs) t-shirt. And uh, Kelsey, where can the folks find you on the socials? Sure, it's just my name at Kelsey Dara. And do you mind if I plug it into the description box? Please. Then I'll do that. Great. Um, Kelsey, thank you. I'm still shaking like a leaf here. Ah. It's really strange. Like the, the cognitive no. distance is driving me nuts here. No shaking. Thank you for joining us on the Bytonal podcast. Thank you for taking. Sure. Uh, time out of your busy day to speak with us and thank you for doing what you do and just keep doing great things okay lady thanks christine thanks for the wonderful conversation all right thank you have a great one yeah bye bye